Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Have you got any idea about sampling in other locations? Have you started to think about sampling in other locations? Or are you just too busy focused on, on, on this particular study? It costs money. So I've been focused <laughs> on trying to get money to do, to do more studies. We're, yeah, we're trying to sample uh, more in cities, see what the deposition rates are in cities. One of the nice things about sampling in the remote locations like we did is that it gives us a good handle on what the background deposition rates are Mm, um, mm. because they're far away from point sources, which could really influence our understanding of of what is happening broader and across a broader scale in the atmosphere. So the nice thing about these remote sites is that we can answer a lot of questions about plastic movement through the atmosphere broadly. But what's also really interesting is if we were to sample in the northeast of the United States where it's really densely populated, there's a lot of roads, what kind of deposition rates would we see there? And that'd be very interesting. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware there was a, a National Geographic study released, I think last year, that advised that 30% of all microplastics in our oceans are from road surfaces. So that'd be from breaking down uh, asphalt in the road, but also tyres and uh, other sort of car bits and bobs. It sort of makes me wonder, yeah, like if you're seeing these elevated concentrations of plastic in in these sort of Joshua Tree environments, and everyone knows what the Joshua Tree looks like. Is everyone seen the U2 album, I'm sure, with <laughs> it's, it's middle of nowhere. Who, who's U2, who's U2, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. I think I'm pretty funny sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's if you compare that, you, you'd know you're going to find way more uh, elevated concentrations in our urban environments. Well, that's what I was about to say to Dennis. Send send some samplers down. Like we've got five sites out there monitoring stormwater quality. We can help you. I mean, it's such an interesting topic to go. Imagine sticking one of these samplers on every device we have out in the field. Mm. Yeah, so we actually think one of the main sources is the ocean. So uh, there's so many plastics in the ocean, their density is less than water. So the same way that aerosols are created from waves can also emit plastics into the atmosphere. And yeah. roads too are, are we think, are really important. And not just for tire particles. We didn't see a lot of tire particles in our samples, hmm. but 
Because roads provide this fetch, first of all, but also this mechanical means for taking particles and, and emitting them high into the atmosphere. And they need to be emitted high for them to travel far. Mm. Whereas you might think, we're initially thinking cities might be the most important source for plastics into the atmosphere. But what we actually found is that they are a primary source, but they're not the main source. That didn't explain a lot of what we were seeing. It only explained a small you know, 10 to 25% of what we were seeing, which tells us that most of these plastics that are being deposited have already been cycling around the earth mm. for some time and are coming from somewhere else. Wow. But if you if you think about how sand moves away from a beach, just along the tracks of people um, that people take, you can think about plastics moving away from a city along the same lines, and that roads provide this mechanism for uninterrupted wind, but also the the roads and the braking of the cars can launch plastics up into the atmosphere. So not just the tires or or what's in the asphalt, but all these other bits of microplastic that have come from the cities. And if you look like, uh, you know, Formula One or any car racing, um, you know, uh, just to, to give you a vi- visual picture, when you see cars go around a track, they're going so fast, but they're spitting up all yeah. the stuff on the track. And so if you're on a highway, you can imagine that's happening every day. We just don't see it. I know, Brad, you're not much into Formula One, but no. uh, <laughs> after after a car race, you've got all that in the driving line and off the driving line, you've got all the degradation from your tyres, but you, you physically see all the, 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 the crap getting spat up into the air. So it's really interesting you say that. So on yeah. big motorways, geez, I'm not going to stop on a motorway and have a walk anymore. <laughs> you know, like, wow. But just getting back to that, so th- th- this plastic that you're sort of sampling in these remote areas, have you got a feel for, like you're, say- you're saying almost it could come from anywhere and it could have been in the atmosphere for a long time. Have you got a feel for essentially how long it could have been travelling from its actually original location? Like we're we talking years and, you know, hundreds of Ks or thousands of Ks or? Yeah, so what we saw falling out dry was a lot smaller than what we saw falling out wet. Those size ranges were within the same range that we could easily say that dust, mineral particles, are transported thousands of kilometers across continents. And plastics are much less dense than minerals, so we can assume that they can travel further. Wow. Um, So it's hard to say, you know, how many years a piece of plastic has been cycling around the earth uh, because we can't date them but it does you know because we saw that they were really small we also found that there was a positive relationship between deposition rates and elevation so we saw more plastics coming out at higher elevation than lower elevation which tells us these plastics are moving higher in the atmosphere and then when they intersect with a mountain range can fall out we also saw relationships to the location of the jet stream, which tells us that these broader scale climate patterns are influencing deposition rates. And so these plastics are traveling higher up in the atmosphere and they're moving long distances and potentially around the globe. Wow. I find that absolutely staggering and fascinating and scaring at the same time. But And I guess it sort of just reiterates the fact that Plastic doesn't break down, it breaks up. 
right. and it breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces. And, and obviously with those smaller sizes is, is an increased ability to be transported across further and further distances, recognising that it's not just plastic. There's probably little bits of other stuff attached to the plastic. You know, it's not just a, an, an inert sort of object. There'll be other things attached to it, such as heavy metals and nutrients and other things that might potentially cause harm to whether it be aquatic or terrestrial organisms or essentially us. Well, that, that's a good question, Janice. Is plastic assisting in conveying nutrients, heavy metals? Is it, have you done any research into, like, is, I know there's lots of plastic going around, but what attaches to that plastic, and, and you said it was lighter, is that causing it to go further? Have you got any thoughts or done any research on, on that relationship? Plastics are thought to attract a lot of other compounds in the environment. And so as dust moves through the atmosphere, it can scrub a lot of mm. other volatile metals and compounds in the atmosphere as it moves through the atmosphere. So if you have dust move through a city, once it passed through that city, it's going to have a lot more metals in it mm. than before it entered that city. So we think plastics can do the same thing and absorb a lot of these other compounds that could be in the atmosphere and are potentially toxic. We haven't gotten that far. Because I was just going to say, because but you'd expect, uh, with obviously we haven't might not have the science, but you'd expect out of a city or an, out of an urban environment, you'd expect higher concentrations of plastic in the atmosphere. But obviously, that plastic will also have a higher concentration of other pollutants, such as the the carcinogens, the vehicle fumes, the the you know the car exhausts. Uh, I don't I don't know. So higher concentration of plastic, but with a higher pollutant load associated with that plastic. It's a hell of a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Well, where we live, uh, well, I live in Sydney. Dr. Katie DeFawn from the Sydney Institute of Marine Science estimates that there's 60 pieces of microplastic every half of cup of sediment in Sydney Harbour. So wow. every half a cup of sediment is 60 pieces of microplastic. Now where it's falling out of the sky, I mean, can we escape yeah. this? I mean, what, what? I guess I'm at a loss. So I'm like, well, what are we? Yeah. Are we buggered? I mean, what are we going to do about this? I mean, it's mind blowing. I think we are for the foreseeable future because even if we stopped producing any plastics today or any waste, there's still everything that's out there right now breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces. We're only just starting to understand what the lifetimes are of plastics in different environments. And so, I don't know how long it would take for the plastics to ultimately get buried in the ocean floor or how long they would cycle through different terrestrial systems before getting permanently buried. Apparently we're having plastic avalanches at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. You know, so That's an interesting point Like you, you make, uh, or both of you guys make, is that, that, that we always really thought that once – plastic washes off our roads or off our car parks and down the drain into the creek into the river into the ocean it basically stays there like it's it's just it's just it's washed it's a toilet away. it's a toilet flush it where yeah, you go flush it down the toilet but now we're sort of realizing that the actual ocean is essentially burping plastic back into the atmosphere yeah and back I onto just, land yeah. i just find that staggering i just, I just take it back 
Okay. I'm normally an optimistic, and often with this podcast and people who listen to the show, we, we often try to focus on the positive and we try and be optimistic and we're like, yeah, let's focus on solutions. But this, this to my mind, is one episode that I'm going, wow, I'm really depressed now. <laughs> Yeah, it takes a lot of time to get depressed. Sorry, and Janice, you're on the you're on the cusp of this research, obviously, and you're the one, uh, you know, obviously uh, co-authoring these papers. How does it make you feel knowing what you now know? Yeah, there wasn't a single point in the study where I wasn't shocked, uh, both as a scientist and as a human. I've been disturbed through the entire process. And I mean, it's fascinating to study. It's really interesting Mm -hmm. in this objective way to try Mm -hmm. to understand what's happening. But when I start thinking about how do we fix this problem, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. And I think, you know, I think we need plastics for a lot of different reasons for medical applications, for food security. There's a lot of reasons we need plastics, but there's a lot of reasons we don't. And, those are just becoming more obvious to me as I walk around and see everything that's in a dollar store or just all these products that we make for single use and for a single season or a holiday that just get used once and thrown away. Those things have become more apparent to me. I'm just noticing them more and thinking more about how how we just need to to do things differently. Obviously, Janice, you've 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 got a really good understanding of the problem, and and I guess the magnitude of the problem and how scary it is. Have you started thinking about what can we actually physically do about mitigating this plastic pollution problem? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want another wine? Because uh, like <laughs> maybe I'll step in there and go. Look, the obvious one to me, Brad and Janice has said it is is reducing what we use. That has to be the number one thing. I mean. It, 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 you know, like there's so much plastic out there. There's, uh, it's in it's in our rivers, creeks, oceans. It's in the air. It's at the bottom of the ocean, and every day, more and more is going into it. So, what, I don't I don't know. Just throwing back at you, Brad. The only way to stop it raining plastic is by stop using plastic. I don't know, Janice. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts? I think, um, as I was saying earlier, there's there's definitely applications that we need plastic for and that we all benefit from. But I think making better choices about what we make with plastic and how we how we purchase single-use plastics and waste management obviously is, is critical, limiting the amount of waste that is mismanaged and ends up in the environment to begin with is key. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The tricky thing is clothing. We saw, Mm -hmm. most of what we saw appeared to be clothing fibers. Mm -hmm. And even if uh, a fraction of those are cotton, they're dyed, they've got other compounds, waterproofing and whatnot on them. They're not necessarily safe just because they're cotton. Those appear to be a major source of what's in the atmosphere. And that's trickier because we need clothing, obviously. We don't need as many clothing as we tend to purchase in the Western world or as many pieces of throwaway clothing as are produced. I think many different industries need to to shift how they're operating and people need to shift how they're consuming. Can I ask, how are fibers from our clothes getting up into the atmosphere? Well, I think it can shed off your clothing as you sit there. If you walk outside and you're in a blustery environment, it can shed off your clothing. Our dryer vents also emit directly into the atmosphere. They don't have filters on them. So there's you know, potentially some technology that could be developed there. I think what, what's hard about asking the question about what do we do is that it really butts up against a lot of different human population issues that we have and how we're just living our lives. And so it, there's no easy solution that isn't going to be painful for everyone. Mm. There's synergies here with the ozone layer depletion as a result of chlorofluorocarbons or CSEs, probably identified maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And Jeremy, as a New Zealander, would be familiar with it. There was a global recognition that uh, a very large hole in the ozone layer was developing with a particular large area uh, being a big gaping hole over New Zealand. And, and, you know, like New Zealand, I mean, come on, you can pick in, you pick Australia, but I mean, poor old New Zealand, this ozone hole just around, like the burn time in New Zealand for me growing up, you know, if, if you go out, it was the old slip, swap, slap, you know, it was something like four minutes if you're in the sun, you get burnt. And it's still really harsh in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, what were your synergies? No, the, the, the synergy was there was a global recognition that we had a major problem uh, and the cause was identified as being CFCs as a, as a key contributor to the ozone layer depletion. So uh, almost globally, instantly, recognising there was a little bit of transition and uh, there's a little bit of CFC use still in a little bit, basically we banned on a mass scale the use of CFCs as a refrigerant across the planet. And as a result, we were actually able to significantly mitigate the depletion of the ozone layer. This is a similar issue. Uh, this isn't just the plastic, uh, and it's really changed the way I've thought about plastic in that, oh, yeah, uh, it's not just a local problem in that plastic in a creek in Sydney is probably from Sydney for sure, but it could equally be windblown from thousands of kilometres and then rain falling and deposited downstream, whatever. 
This is well and truly a global problem. For sure, you see high concentrations in urban environments, etc. But this plastic problem is a global issue. And we can do all the waste management education and fancy recycling and, and getting people to only buy one pair of jeans or whatever. But the government needs to really step in here and go, we're just going to ban all non-essential uses of plastic. You know, unless it's medical, unless it's absolutely essential for safety or whatever purposes, we just can't use it because we just can't. We, we just haven't got the responsibility for it. Okay, now that's a really great idealistic thing to say, but it ain't going to happen, mate. Especially right right now, we're in COVID, we've got our economies around the world because everyone's worried about their economies. We're not going to ban plastic. Uh, and and uh, Sorry, it's just not going to happen today, tomorrow, in the next five or ten years. People won't allow it, mate, until you've got an alternative product that's cheaper. Let's face it, we rely on plastic so sure. much it's almost, uh, if, if you ban it, I mean, it's, uh, so I don't see that as, well, that's the ultimate goal, mm-hmm. but w- w- tell me what you're going to replace it with. Yeah, look, I'm not the one that, we, we do need an alternative to plastic and we, we do need an alternative that doesn't just break up and, and have this ability to travel thousands of kilometres via atmosphere onto the top of French Pyrenees mountain ranges. We just haven't got the ability to manage plastic properly. Well, the alternative, the alternative, can I tell you the alternative is we just keep on breathing plastic along with all the other pollutants and we, we uh, probably Increase have risk. a, a yeah, yeah. Risk of, sorry, high risk of a whole bunch of health ailments as a result. But I'll ask Janice this. If we stop it getting into the ocean and getting it into the creeks and the rivers, then from your research, would that minimise the amount of plastic that's going up into the air? Yeah, but it wouldn't eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of terrestrial sources. We just think the ocean is probably the dominant source. But Jeremy's right. Like in the absence of a complete outright ban uh, of single-use plastics in, in my hippie land, we do need to be, be more mindful of absolutely doing whatever we can to capture it at the source. If we use it, we've got to make sure it's appropriately disposed of properly and probably have a few precautions in place for the stuff that essentially what we'd call leaks. So the stuff that sort of comes off our road or our urban environments, you know, from, from car exhaust or wear and tear on your clothing and whatever. There's always going to be little bits and pieces that basically leak and we've got to make sure that we actually appropriately stop them from entering our waterways. Well, I'll tell you one thing I'm going to do. We've got one of those condenser dryers. We, uh, instead of having to pipe the air out and, and you know, you, mm. you pull out the tray and then you empty the water, I'm going to get – one of the contents of that, and we'll analyze it, Brad. Let's see how much microplastics are coming yep. off our clothes because Janice brought it up. So, if it's washing off our clothes, it's coming off the dryer, there's no filters there, it's coming off the roads. You can sort of see how it's ending up in the atmosphere. If, if you were the atmosphere, you'd be like, Oh, great, I've got plastic there, I'll just chew that up, I'll chew, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much of it in so many different lo- locations. No wonder this is happening. Like, at the start of this podcast, I sort of thought, you know, something's not right. You know, this is not right. This is really awful. But by the yeah. end of it, I'm like, I'm surprised there's not more, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I started with this research, too, just shocked to find it. But then as I started to learn more about plastic and the plastic pollution problem and how it just breaks down, it doesn't, it just fragments, it doesn't biodegrade, then I was like, of course, it's in the atmosphere. 
getting back to the solutions, like it's, it's not, we're not going to solve this in a, in a, in a podcast. And it's, it's not up to Janice, who's done this amazing research, highlighting the problem. But what we definitely need to do is actually talk about this problem more. And, and this is one of the advantages of having this research and science is that we can actually put some hard numbers and, and use essentially robust science to highlight how critical this issue is. In the absence of Janice's and her, and her co-author's findings, we wouldn't even know about this problem. But now that we do know about this problem, I think it's, it's up to sort of, I guess, the scientific community to actually sort of share this and then sort of use that as a platform. To, okay, well, we know this is a problem. Okay, what can we physically do about it? So what do you guys know about hemp plastics? Yeah, look, uh, I know a little bit about this. Like hemp seems to be this wonder product. You can basically make anything out of hemp, everything from uh, sails for ships to alternatives to plastic to um, uh, batteries. You can make a battery out of hemp. My very dear friend Barbara Probert has built a house out of hempcrete, and it's the first one in the South Island of New Zealand. A, it's a wonderful texture. B, it's fireproof. C, the installation's awesome. And, and, and four, it's cheap as. Like, mm. what a wonderful thing. So, Janice, I know nothing about hemp plastic. Tell us. I don't know anything either, but... Oh, cool. <laughs> it's a potentially a great alternative to the way we're just using and wasting plastic at the yeah. moment and keeping plastic, uh, synthetic polymer-based plastic, for things that we really need it for. Yeah, and that comes back to the point I made before. It, Brad's hippie land that comes out with a complete ban on plastic. You can't tell me that there'll be a whole bunch of people working busily behind the scenes to try and come up with a very snazzy alternative. And I reckon the hemp farmers of the world would be the first ones rubbing their hands together going, you know what, I think we've got a solution here. I still maintain if we if we sort of at least significantly – basically, if we said, hey, by 2030, we're going to essentially ban single-use plastics. You've got 10 years to work towards a solution. I, I, I'm absolutely certain that we, as a human species, we come up with something very suitable and appropriate and cost-effective very quickly. It's just like this with COVID. You know, we've, we've been told we can't leave our houses uh, for three or four months. Okay, we, we just make do. We, we come up with innovative ways to actually communicate better with each other. Actually, you're just onto a good point, Janeth. In Utah, how are you guys going? How's COVID affected you? We're not doing that great over here right now. Our case numbers are rapidly increasing. Uh, I think, yeah, I shouldn't say too much because it's really politicized here in a way mm. that's it shouldn't be, but it is. Yeah. It could easily get in trouble here. From the outside in, looking at what's happening over in your country, it's, it's a disaster. Um, and one thing where we sit down in the little pockets of Australia, I don't know, but we've had a big outbreak here. Uh, in the last few days, and they've actually shut the whole state of Victoria down. And they've actually seen an increase in numbers like they have never seen during this pandemic. So that whole state is, you know, what, what they call a second wave or, or whatnot. But my fear is, I mean, I don't think they've ever found a uh, vaccine for a COVID-type uh, virus. COVID's here to stay. I literally this morning went to try and book a ticket to go home to see my mum in New Zealand. New Zealand government has said no. We're limiting the amount of New Zealanders that are allowed to come back into the country because of the overflow on the hotel system for quarantining. I mean, it's just affecting everyone in such a uh, ridiculous way. And obviously, in, in America, it's horrendous. Like Jeremy's referring to the state of Victoria that uh, has, I think, uh, two hundred cases, mate. Yeah, and that's a spike. 
As a comparison, in the States, they had about 50,000 new cases yesterday. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it's phenomenal. It's crazy yeah. scary. So, look at I can't from- go home either, and it's really upsetting. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah, the borders are closed. Wow. So, do you, so you're even closed without a quarantine? Yeah. So, you can't go in quarantine? You just shut? Uh, I think I could go for certain reasons, but I don't think I can just go home to visit my mom. Wow, it's, a, it's a certainly a scary time. Well, good, but, way to, uh, good, good way to end a depressing <laughs> podcast about pasta. Let's talk about COVID. But really, we should land this plane. It's getting quite late over there for Yeah, Janice. we should. And I know, I know it's already 11 o'clock at night, I think, uh, where Janice is. But look, uh, I, I just want to personally thank like, yeah, thank you so much for coming on our show. Like to, to, to go from reading your article to reaching out literally that day to you and you saying almost immediately, hey, yeah, I'd love to come on your show. That was such a great feeling for us. And, and to have this opportunity to delve into the detail of your scientific methods and results has been honestly it's been gripping i, I feel exhausted having gone through the, the this with you and obviously you've been living and breathing this for a year and a half or so so look all i can say is just thanks so much for joining us on our show but also well done on really fantastic science well that's 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 going to be my point janice without people like you going out and doing this research we'd never know you know, without you trying to be inquisitive and going, hey, what's happening up there? And then actually, oh, gee, this is what I found. Without people like you, Brad and I have got nothing to talk about, number one. But number two, the general public just don't have that information. So thank you so much for, for doing what you do and, and thank you for coming on our show. I feel horrible, uh, but that's a good horrible because I know there's a lot more that we need to be doing to fix this problem. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I was really excited to get invited. Oh, wow. So have you listened to one yet or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, really? Which one? Which, which, which one? Um, I, it, uh, we'll put her on the spot now. She actually is. Yeah, the one with the... The one with the one, plastics one about, in the ocean? The plastics in the ocean, that one. That's a cracker. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming on our show, and uh, I certainly wish you all the best. And I can't wait to see what the, the next sort of scientific revelation you have. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.